0: This is a case of Cinderella gone horribly wrong. In this case, there won't be any glass slipper. There won't be any handsome prince. This is a case where you only have an evil stepmother. And as a result of that, a 10-year-old child starved to death while her own children remained happy and healthy. This is the opening statement for the prosecution in the murder trial against the killer of Little Amani Moss, one of the worst cases I have ever researched how a person can isolate, neglect, abuse and starve an innocent child while other children in the household grow and thrive, there is a special place in hell for these people. In a case where this poor child was let down by her father and by a system in place that was supposed to protect her but failed to, despite reports filed throughout her entire life. And before we begin, this case does discuss graphic details of child abuse, child murder and disposal of a body. While I always try to be respectful to the child and remaining family, this episode is very much a difficult listen. It may not be for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. This is Amani's story.
1: There were details about the case that jurors were hearing for the very first time, like the process of the autopsy and what the medical examiner actually found. Some of those details are simply too graphic to share on air, and they certainly evoked emotion with a lot of the jurors and mostly everyone inside the courtroom. But before the medical examiner took the stand today, the lead investigator in the case was up first, talking about some of the very first interviews with Iman Moss, Imani's father. Here are some more details details about that. The lead investigator talked about some of the first interviews with Iman's father. He stated he knew Iman was lying from the beginning when he said his daughter died after swallowing a chemical, and from there, his story kept changing. The investigator says Iman was consistent about one thing, and that was his wife. He was trying to cover up for Tiffany. The investigator then describes Tiffany as calm and polite when she was arrested, but says her actions were cold and calculating. As part of the evidence, the investigators say they uncovered security video taken just one day after Imani died, proving how they tries to cover up her death.
0: Amani Gabrielle Moss was born April 23, 2003, into a toxic and violent relationship between father Aman Moss and mother Denita Leakes. Denita was deep in a long-standing drug addiction, and by the time little Amani was only one year old, it was clear her life would not be happy and without drama. The Georgia Division of the Department of Child and Family Services first made contact with the Moss family before Amani's first birthday. The report stating that Amani was not being properly cared for and was being denied food. But DCFS deemed these allegations unsubstantiated and closed without further investigation. Only several months later, the DCFS would again become involved. Her father, Aman, was arrested in early 2004 on charges of battery and cruelty to children after beating her mother, Danita, in front of the infant. This would result in Aman serving jail time and Danita signing away her parental rights. Amani would spend the next three years with her paternal grandmother, Robin Moss. It would later be reported that Amani and Robin had an amazing bond, Robin easily taking on both the roles of mother and father during these important development years. And Amani thrived. She gained weight and would be described as being a sweet and gentle girl. A smile, a permanent fixture on her gorgeous cherub face. Most, if not all, of the pictures you will see of Amani online is during this period, and another short custody placement Amani would have with her beloved grandmother. She looks happy and healthy and absolutely beautiful. It breaks my heart into a million pieces knowing how different Amani's life would have turned out if left in this safe haven with a guardian that provided and nurtured and loved this sweet little girl. Unfortunately, this far too brief happiness was not meant to be because in the fall of 2007, Aman would be released from prison and would be granted full custody of three year old Amani. Danica and Robin would both fight for custody of Amani. This would continue for years, but despite a criminal record for violent behaviour and neglect to the basic needs of his child, the court would rule in favour of Aman being the sole carer for Amani. It seems initially things were going fine. Aman would take his daughter to the Freedom Christian Church every Sunday. This would be where Aman met preschool teacher Tiffany. The two would marry in July of two thousand and nine and they would go on to have two children themselves, a daughter born in 2009 and a son born in 2010. Iman working two jobs to make ends meet, meaning he really didn't spend much time with his family during the week. Weekends, he would be the primary caregiver whilst Tiffany had some me time, and she would go out with friends and spend time with extended family. Iman would later claim at trial that on weekends when he was in charge of the children, Imani would eat a lot. But behind closed doors, things were not going well for little Amani. It wouldn't be long until the abuse would start again. April 2008. Child Services investigated claims that five-year-old Amani was suffering from, quote, "...emotional and psychological neglect," unquote. And in December of 2008, DCFS received a tip asking them to look into claims of inadequate care and possible sexual abuse, but like with the first report in 2003, these allegations were dismissed as unsubstantiated and the case was closed in the eyes of child services. It seems that Amani was a point of contention in the Moss household. Tiffany almost resented Amani being in the family. According to later reports, Tiffany would bathe her two children with gifts and the best clothes and home-baked goods, whereas she isolated and starved her stepdaughter – It's not clear what in particular Tiffany had an issue with, not that anything would make sense or be an excuse. There is nothing Amani could do as a five-year-old or even at ten years old when her life ended that could justify how she was treated. But Tiffany would regularly message Aman at work, complaining that Amani was constantly misbehaving, again isolating and ignoring Amani and instead she focused and gave love and attention to her own two children. This would quickly escalate into something far more serious in March of 2010.
2: Um, do you recall where you were interviewed by the Gwinnett County Police Department in regard to an issue with Amani?
0: Yes.
2: Tell the jury how that, how you found out about that and how that happened.
3: Um, I was at work and... Um... I get a phone call from, uh, I think, a detective, I can't remember her name, but I know I got a phone call from a detective saying I had to come to the police station. They didn't tell me what. They just said, I need an emergency. I think the said, pertaining to your child. So I just left work, let my manager know, and I just hop in the car and just drove all the way down there. All
2: right. While you were at the police department, did you find out that your wife had been accused of, of beating your child.
3: Yes, when I got down there.
2: And did you give a statement to the police in that regard? Uh,
3: yes, I spoke with the uh, detective.
2: And did you become aware that she was eventually arrested?
3: Yes, I, she got arrested there.
2: And do you know whatever happened with that case? Um,
3: to the plea of probation, five years, to my knowledge.
2: Tell me what life was like after that. At your house.
3: <laughs> it was rough.
2: Um, was Tiffany allowed to work as a teacher after that? No. Did Tiffany ever work after 2010? No. Um did you ever see any problems between Amani and Tiffany while you were at Pearlie's? Yes. Tell me about those.
3: Um Ever since uh, going back to two thousand ten, ever since then it was like uh like a love hate relationship.
2: Tell me what, explain yeah. to the jury what you mean by a love hate
3: relationship. Um, you know, her and mine was like um it was always something they couldn't get along.
2: But how did uh, the question was, how did she how did she end up staying at your mother's house
3: after? Um, defects. We moved out the, out of our home and put it with grandma,
2: and how long did she live with grandma after the 2010 incident? I
3: want to say about, I want to say six months.
2: Did you ever talk to your mom about Imani staying with her? Yes, yeah, I have. And wh- how did you feel about that? Um, I didn't really mind. All right. But but I'm talking about after 2010. Um, did your mom ever ask? For Amani to come and live with her. Yes, yeah. And what did you say to that? Um, I, I,
3: in my pride, I said I was trying to prove something to my mom that I can do it, and I said no.
0: Then six-year-old Amani went to the school nurse and told her she was afraid to go home with a bad report card. When pressed further, the little girl said her stepmother had beat her before with a belt, most recently for not doing her homework. The nurse finding severe bruises and welts on Amani's chest, back, shoulders, arms and legs, all in various shades and in different stages of healing. The nurse, of course, reported this to police. This would actually be one of many reports by Amani's school in the year that she was in attendance. Police did follow this report up, though, bringing Amani and Tiffany into the department headquarters that very day. Tiffany admitted to smacking the girl, but insisted it had only been two or three times. Despite Amani presenting with injuries, that could only be caused by prolonged abuse. Tiffany pled guilty to battery and child abuse and was sentenced to five years probation. In addition, Tiffany and Amani had to attend parenting classes, which they both completed. And due to the Georgia First Offenders program, Tiffany's charges were vacated once she completed all 6 weeks of the parenting classes. During all of this, Amani's grandmother Robin would again be awarded temporary custody of her granddaughter. This time for 6 months. It was like night and day how Amani's life would be. And like the last time she was with her grandmother, Amani thrived. She was a healthy weight and she was happy. She was doing well at school and her attendance was perfect. But as I said, this was only a temporary arrangement, and in the fall of 2010, Armani was returned to her father. Robin begged Aman to let Armani stay with her. Couldn't he see how well she was doing? But Aman would later admit during his testimony at trial that his pride got in the way, and he wanted to prove to his mother that he could do it without her help. I wish I could say that life got better for Amani back at her home, but her health and well-being, it only deteriorated. Because of the child abuse conviction, Tiffany would lose her job as a preschool teacher. This was a job she'd worked her whole life for. But instead of recognising this mistake and growing and changing, Tiffany would blame Amani for the fact she lost her job, and the abuse towards the young girl escalated even further." Imani would run away twice in July of 2012, and that would be the next time the Moss family would come to the attention of authorities. The first time, Imani would run into some local businesses begging for help, desperate for somewhere else to stay so she didn't have to go back home. And the second time, police would find Imani at 1am, hiding in some nearby bushes, where she would tell police that that was where she wanted to live. That she didn't want to go back home because her stepmother tied her up with belts, beat her with curtain rods, and put her in cold showers. Remember, Amani is only nine years old at this point. This is all so heartbreaking how many times Amani found the strength and bravery to ask for help. Asked who should be trusted adults for help, only for these pleads to be ignored and shut down. It literally breaks my heart. Now, of course, when questioned by police, Tiffany denied all of this. She would say Amani was acting out because she was jealous of her and her father's relationship. That she was jealous of sharing attention with her siblings. And because there was no evidence of any of this actually happening, it was Amani's word against Tiffany's. No charges were ever laid. Amani was accused of lying and making up stories and was returned to Tiffany and Amani. I can only imagine that both these incidents would only enraged Tiffany more and resulted in more punishment for little Imani. May 2013. Tiffany and Aman would take the three children to a big extended family get together for Mother's Day, Aman's sister's home. Imani's grandmother Robin was also in attendance at this gathering. It was obvious to everyone that little Imani was not well. She looked gaunt and pale all of her hair had been cut off. Sweet Amani looked miserable and very sickly. Robin confronted Tiffany about Amani's appearance, and all she would say was, quote, if you act ugly, you should look ugly, unquote. This would be the last time anyone outside of Tiffany and Aman would see Amani alive.
4: So what do they decide? With two full-time jobs by, uh, by Aman, he told you. They had to have three times the salary or his salary had to be three times what the rent was. And so what did he do? He did it. He worked 16 hours a day so that he could get a three-bedroom apartment, two-bath apartment for this defendant and his children. So why the work records? You see the work records to show that, in fact, yes, that is where Amon was going 16 hours a day. But in the end of August and early September, what did they do? They moved to Veranda Chase here in Gwinnett, and that was absolutely the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of the end for Imani, because they moved to that apartment, and now what? There is no one else watching. And what do they do? They decide they're gonna homeschool Imani. They're gonna homeschool her. Sharonice, a sister knew immediately there were red flags at that moment. Yes, she was a trained teacher, but she hadn't taught in years, and clearly the relationship between her and Amani was not good. She had two small children at home, and Sharon immediately said, red flags went up. This was a horrible idea. This was a very bad idea. Why would you homeschool her? And what did she do? She was so concerned, she called DFACs. She reported it again, spoke on the phone with DFACS because she knew that this was not going to be okay. That Imani was not going to be okay being homeschooled. Because what was homeschool? Homeschooling was code words for isolate and hide. We can isolate this children from everyone she knows. She will not see friends every day. She will not see her family. She will not have a teacher that can save her and protect her. She will be in this apartment and the only two adults will be this defendant and a father who is gone 16 hours a day.
0: Fall 2013. The Moss family had finally secured long-term housing. Remember, Tiffany could no longer work as a preschool teacher. So she was the primary caregiver for all three children. And Iman was working two full-time jobs, being gone at least sixteen hours a day during the week, sometimes more. It was a struggle financially for the family, but they had their own home now. All Iman's hard work was paying off with a beautiful three-bedroom and two-bathroom apartment in Lawrenceville, Gwinnett County, Georgia. Tiffany would remove her money from school and would homeschool the girl. So that removed any risk of mandatory reporters seeing the abuse, and sadly, it removed any chance Amani had to ask for help. As the prosecutor said during trial, this was the beginning of the end for Amani. Previously, there were teachers or family members looking out for Amani, but now no one would see her, making it easier to hide the abuse and the isolation and the neglect. Amani had nowhere else to hide. After this point, it has been reported that Amani would spend her days locked in her bedroom, left to waste away in her own filth and waste. She was being deprived of food and water. At least twice, Tiffany sent pictures to Amani at work of meals she had cooked him and their two children, who were happy and well looked after. The smells of home-cooked meals that would have wafted into Amani's room must have been torture for the hungry girl. At the time of her death, the medical examiner believed Amani had not eaten for at least 12 days. 12 days. I cannot fathom how you could do this to a child. In one incident not long before her death, Amani was so hungry, it was claimed she tried to get some food from a pot on a stove, pulling it down on herself and burning her chest and stomach. These were second to third degree burns. However, a text to Iman from Tiffany would claim Imani received these burns by getting into a too-hot bathtub. So who knows really what happened here? Honestly, any version of events from either Iman or Tiffany are questionable to say the least. What we do know for certain is, though, Imani did not receive any medical treatment for what would have been extremely painful burns. In the days prior to October 28, 2013, Imani had a seizure, likely from severe starvation. Tiffany told Iman they could not take her to the doctor because of the condition Imani was in. Imani was placed into her bed where she was too weak to move, lying in her own waist where she would die. Imani's tiny body finally giving out after years and years of abuse, at only 10 years old. According to court records, Iman would claim his wife called him on October 28, 2013. She said she had found Imani dead on the bedroom floor. Iman would claim he told Tiffany he wanted to call 911, but Tiffany said no. That if they did report Imani's death, they would lose the other children. Remember, Tiffany was still on probation from the child abuse charge. And if they reported Imani had died... Well, it would be obvious she was malnourished, and DCFS would remove their other children. Tiffany came up with a depraved plan that should anyone ask, they would say Imani had simply run away again. And Imam would agree because, quote, "I was trying to fix a problem that couldn't be fixed unquote." When Aman returned home, he would find that Tiffany moved Imani to the bathtub. It was clear she had died. Amani was so emaciated at this point, she had no muscle tone, weighing only 32 pounds at the time of her death, the size of a toddler. She weighed less than her three-year-old brother. The average weight of a healthy 10-year-old is around 72 pounds. The medical examiner, Dr. Michelle Staffenberg, would later testify in court, quote, She was more or less skin and bones. Her face looked very thin to me. Unquote. According to Aman, he would then wrap his daughter in blankets and place her in the computer room. This is where she would stay for several days, while the family went along their normal routine. Iman would say that during the few hours he was at home, he would spend the time in the computer room with his daughter's remains grieving. At some point, it was decided they needed to get rid of Amani's body, Iman alleging it was Tiffany's idea to cremate the remains, so Aman heads off to Walmart, buying a galvanised steel dustbin, bin bags, charcoal and lighter fluid, and at 4am November 1st, 2013, Tiffany and Aman bizarrely and horrifically, put Amani, wrapped in blankets as well as their two children into the car, and drove to a rural area to hide what they did. And because at this stage, obviously, rigor mortis had set in – so they actually had to bend and break Marnie's brittle bones, duct-taping her legs and arms into a position in order to get her inside the trash bin. They threw the charcoal in and sprinkled in the lighter fluid and set the body alight, having this made-up funeral, I guess, with these babies watching on. I cannot, I have no words. What the hell was going through their heads exposing more innocent children to even more horrors? And they all just stood there, watching the flames. Until about an hour, realising this wasn't working. That the fire wasn't going to burn the remains. They placed Amani still in the garbage bin back into the back of the car, and they drove home. It would be another 24 hours of the family just going through their normal routine of housework, arts and craft, and homemade cookies, and Aman going to work. Before some common sense takes hold... Amman cracks under the pressure and the stress I imagine. He is now suicidal. Possibly it's hit him now what he's actually done. The magnitude of what's happened. On November 2, 2013, Amman calls 911 saying that his 10-year-old daughter has died and he was going to take his own life as well. Police arrive on the scene to what would have been the most horrific sights most would ever see. No one could be prepared for what they saw that day. Imani's tiny and broken body charred in this steel garbage bin. Iman would be arrested immediately and taken in for questioning. Tiffany was nowhere to be seen. She had fled as soon as she knew Iman had called the authorities. She didn't make it far, though, and she would be later arrested at her mother's house. Iman initially told police that Armani died after swallowing some chemicals. He would change his story soon after, though, accusing Tiffany of poisoning Armani. But he would ultimately tell the whole horrific tale of what he stood by and allowed his wife to do to his eldest child. That he stood by and did nothing. Iman and Tiffany Moss both being charged with six counts of murder, concealing a death, felony murder and first-degree cruelty to children. 2015, both Amman and Tiffany were offered plea deals, in which if they pled guilty, they would receive automatic life sentences and avoid possibly facing the death penalty. Tiffany declined this offer. She stated that she was not guilty and instead of being represented by two experienced public defenders assigned to her, no, instead, she was representing herself, stating that she believed God would help her through. On the other hand, Aman Moss accepted the plea deal on the table. He changed his initial not guilty plea to guilty to felony murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. He also agreed to testify against his wife. And despite all of this, they would never divorce. As to penalty,
1: count one, murder. We, the jury, recommend and fix the penalty as death.
2: A Gwinnett County stepmother stared straight ahead, briefly looked down for just a moment before she raised her head again and then listened to the verdict that she has been sentenced
0: to death in Gwinnett County. Tiffany Moss went to trial on April 15, 2019. District Attorney for the Prosecution, Danny Porter, opening, quote, This is a case of Cinderella gone horribly wrong. In this case, there won't be any glass slipper. There won't be any handsome prince. This is a case where you only have an evil stepmother, Throughout the trial, Tiffany did not give any statements. She did not cross-examine any witness, and she did not present any witnesses of her own. She chose instead to sit in silence. Jurors covered their mouth during Aman's testimony, outlining how he cracked his daughter's bones to get her to stay inside the metal trash bin. They were shown autopsy photos of Amani's skeletal body, how Tiffany never deemed his eldest daughter as worthy enough for love. This is best summed up by the prosecution, that in the eyes of Tiffany, Amani was, quote, Nothing. She was a nuisance. She was ugly. She was a pain. She was disposable. She was trash. Unquote. Jurors broke down in tears hearing about just what that little girl went through in her short, painful life. In his closing statement, District Attorney Danny Porter argued that Tiffany did not deserve a life sentence, that she should not be given any chance to be released because she would never change. Quote, She has shown you too much of her capacity for cruelty. There will always be that dark side waiting to come out, In April 2019, 36-year-old Tiffany Moss was found guilty of murder, child cruelty and concealing a murder. She was sentenced to death for her crimes, showing no reaction to the news and declining to speak. Of the death sentence, District Attorney Porter would front the media, quote, there's no joy when a jury imposes a death sentence, but this is the worst case I have ever seen. The first time you look at it, it makes you sick. The last time you look at it, it makes you sick. Unquote. Tiffany Moss's execution date, initially scheduled for June of 2019, has come and gone. With any death sentence an automatic appeal is applied – For this, Tiffany has chosen to be represented by public defenders. Public defenders who are now arguing diminished responsibility due to a brain injury. She remains the only female on death row in the state of Georgia. If given the lethal injection, she will be only the third woman executed in the state's history. Iman and Tiffany's two children were placed in foster care. A judge declining applications from both Robin and Tiffany's parents seeking custody of the five-year-old girl and three-year-old boy. In 2019, they were formally adopted by their foster parents, their parents stating the children have no memory of the trauma of what happened and they are thriving in their forever home.
2: Like you would hope kids would be. Yeah. Sort of they were celebrating Halloween and dressing up and going yeah. trick-or-treating and stuff like that. And
1: mm-hmm.
2: As a grandma to all those children, you know, one of your loved ones... It's being treated so
1: poorly. I,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Can you make sense of that? Sure. I
3: can't because I don't understand why these are healthy, Tristan and Emma are healthy, and why my granddaughter in the room is starving to death. I didn't. I don't. I don't. I can't. what accept the concept of that because no child should go without food or water. Mm-hmm. And why are you mistreating her? Mm-hmm. And you're not mistreating the other ones. And that's when I know that nothing's wrong with you. You're just a
0: mean person. In January 2015, the Child Welfare Reform Council released a report for systematic changes to be put in place for Georgia's child welfare system. Changes that have since been implemented. These include deeper investigations into allegations of abuse and changing how it assembles maltreatment reports. New case managers being hired to reduce caseloads agency workers no longer having the delegation on whether reports warrant full investigation based solely on information gathered over the telephone and no case to be assigned as less serious or low-priority status until the child who allegedly had been abused being spoke to and viewed in person. As a direct result of this report, several DCF workers lost their jobs as it was revealed they failed to detect the risks little Amani was exposed to based on the result of the criminal trial and the reform report. Amani's grandmother, Robin, would file a lawsuit in 2018 against the Georgia Division of DCFS. The lawsuit would argue the department was alerted to the neglect of Amani and they failed her, that they never followed up on any of the reports and instead chose to ignore the escalating abuse, instead closing the reports over and over. At the time of this recording, the lawsuit is still pending. There is only one thing for certain here, though. It's that little Amani was horribly let down by everyone in her life. She spent so much of her short life without love. She deserves her spirit to be remembered with great empathy, and for this never to happen to another child again. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives. Please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.